Well, good evening, church. Great to have you with us again as we study When Life Seems to Swallow You Whole, Thoughts on God's Will from the book of Jonah. We were committed to Sunday nights when we were gathering, and we're still committed to Sunday nights as we gather and study God's Word together. This is part five of, of this study, and the title is When Life Seems to Swallow You Whole, and then I said Thoughts on God's Will from the book of Jonah. And tonight, more than any other study, is about what it means to fulfill God's will. I want to look at true and false righteousness, how they can look similar at times, but the difference of heart that takes place. The fourth chapter is a fascinating chapter. Let's study together. Verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Now, you need a bit of background. Last Sunday night in chapter 3, we saw how after God delivered Jonah from the belly of the fish, how he went through uh, the city of Nineveh and he proclaimed the message of judgment and repentance and the people responded. Okay, from the king down, sackcloth, ashes, calling out to God in repentance. And so it's kind of surprising. Now, you didn't have the chapter divisions, of course, initially, but they do help us a little bit in sorting out the text. It's surprising to see that that, the repentance and God's uh, grace to the Ninevites, that's what displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry for one. And he prayed to the Lord and said, you've got to have nerve to pray like this, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Even though he's delivered now, he's still justifying what he did in fleeing on a ship to Tarshish. For I knew, and this is what bugs Jonah, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, why would that bother Jonah? Jonah's like you. Jonah's like I am. He loves it when God is gracious and merciful to him. He's not crazy about it when God is gracious and merciful to people he doesn't like. Verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? There's great restraint here. Five, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant. God appointed a plant. So he used a fish. Now he uses a plant. You see the mastery over the created realm. Pointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He, he's upset when God saves the city. He's happy for a plant. You get the picture? Seven. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked 
the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. None of this is accidental. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said, same words, God said again to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. See, Jonah, just what we all do, just rationalizing. And the Lord said, verse 10, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Okay, should, and should I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So infants perhaps, uh, developmentally challenged perhaps, but that many people who can't even tell yet their right hand from their left, God, God cares about them, and much cattle, God cares about that. Let's look at some thoughts from this crazy passage. Perhaps in this chapter, you really begin to see what the book of Jonah is about. I mean, the first few chapters, they show us the penalties of disobedience to the voice of God, Jonah, gets thrown overboard in the storm, the fish swallows him up. So we see the doctrine, it is a doctrine of divine chastening. And the book closes now on the theme of priorities, what we fix our heart on, what we give our attention to. And so this chapter sets the stage for a great lesson on repentance. The people of Nineveh repented Jonah looks like he repented when we studied him in the belly of that fish. Not everything that looks like repentance really is. Not everything that looks like righteousness really is. True, Jonah had been delivered from the belly of the fish. He did what God said, but his heart is still not tuned in the direction of God's will. I mean, he obeyed God went to Nineveh, walked three days through the city, pronouncing what God told him to pronounce, but he hates obeying God. He hates every minute of it. That's what you get in those three verses of chapter 4. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. This prayer, it, it's mind-boggling. In the second verse, O oh Lord, is, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? And that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Really? I thought you repented of that. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Better for me to die than to live. I can't, I can't live with the results of your mercy to Nineveh. I can't live with that. So clearly... This is important. Jonah has not yet reached the point of being pleased with the will of God, even when he did it. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, 4-1. There, there's, a, there's a depth to repentance that Jonah hasn't reached, and we, and we all need to linger. When we repent of anything, we need to linger long enough over it so we sense 
not just the wickedness of the deed, but the wickedness of the heart that gave birth to the deed, and pray for a transformation of heart, not just an outward, cold obedience. To learn God's preference, to learn to love what He loves. So we don't, we don't just cut deals with God. We, we allow Him, when we repent, when we pray, when we fall, we allow Him to reshape our hearts in His image. So, so what I'm saying is, God wants me not just obeying His instructions. A lot of people think that's enough. God does not want me just obeying His instructions. He wants me sharing His concerns. Totally different. Totally different. Okay, point number two. Praise God, the book of Jonah shows us God's great love for bad people. The Ninevites, the Assyrians, they, they were cruel, they were pagan, they were idolatrous, and labored mightily to do all they could to annihilate God's chosen people. And so this had caused Jonah to lose sight of the value of their souls to God. So Jonah had learned to share God's viewpoint on their sin. What he hadn't learned was to share God's viewpoint on the sinner. This doesn't mean that God won't judge sinners along with their sin in his wrath. Sometimes God's love gets uh, twisted scripturally in that direction. God loves the sinner and so he just tolerates everything. No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is God wants to give wicked, sinful people the chance to repent, escape his wrath, receive his grace, show his mercy, and he wants Jonah to share that desire, and he doesn't share it yet. I guess I'm to learn that this desire is not too easily attained by religious people. We, we can become too harsh too quickly with people who reject and persecute the cause of Christ. And Jonah's proof of that. God does not tolerate sin. He will judge all sinners. But what he wants, the Bible says he wants all to come to repentance. That's his mercy. That's his grace. Jonah doesn't get that. Point number three. Any outward act of obedience may be only partially righteous. And we need to understand why that's the case. This is the profound insight in verses uh, 1 and 2. I read them once before, but look at it again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That's God delivering mercy, delivering Nineveh from his judgment. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? And this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And I think what I'm supposed to learn here is actions aren't fully righteous, though outward obedience is a start. Outward actions aren't fully righteous until the heart is right in them. And, and as we saw earlier, even though Jonah had reluctantly come to terms 
grudgingly obeying God's will, chastened into it. He, he wasn't reconciled to God's will in his heart. He still sees God's will as an unreasonable thing. He still sees God's will as a burden. He still sees God's will as irritating. Boy, the problem in all this isn't just for the Ninevites. As long as, I mean, as long as they hear the call to repent and listen, the state of Jonah's heart in proclaiming the message has no effect. As long as they repent, God will be merciful, God will be gracious. Jonah is the one who's affected. He's the one who remains unchanged. When we look at the scriptures, we can see, we can see this, the necessity to bring the heart in with the outward act of obedience. You can see the Bible talking about it. Let me just read a few passages. There's a little bit of scripture here. I hope you follow along in your Bible. So remember, here's the point. I want to show you how the Bible backs up this idea. Jonah was wrong even when he was right because his heart wasn't right. And I want to show you now from the New Testament how that same situation can creep up very easily, doing the right thing but not with the right heart. So that's what we're doing here. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let's talk about our giving. Now so many of you, thank you so much, by the way, your faithful giving online, your support, it just means so much in these difficult times. But here's a verse about giving, whether in person or, or cyber giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God wants the gift, yes, and he wants the heart. Look what Jesus said. This is a bit longer passage in Matthew 6, 1 to 6. And then I'm going to read 16 and 17 as well. Jesus is talking about this same issue. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So he's not talking now about their unrighteousness. Okay, he's talking about their righteousness. You can do it to be seen by people. For then you will have no reward from your Father is in heaven. If the heart isn't in it properly, you get no reward, even from righteousness. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. That's all they get. Ooh, other people, that's it. Is that enough? Verse 3. When you give to the needy, that's a very righteous thing to do. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you giving may be in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. How about prayer? So we talked about giving. Talked about performing acts of righteousness. Talked about giving to the needy. Now we're talking about prayer. It's all the same principle. Verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You just get a little bit of recognition. Boy, he's a godly person, eh? But when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's something else. Fasting. 16 and 17, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces. Oh, fasting. Ooh. 
that they may be seen by others and suffering so much for the Lord. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. I could read dozens of examples, but the point is the same. God wants the outward act of righteousness, but not like Jonah went to the Ninevites. He wants the outward act, and he wants the heart. He wants you not just obeying his instructions. He wants you sharing his concerns. Now, having said all of that, let me make sure you don't make the opposite mistake because there's another truth that you have to balance this with. Outward obedience can, if the doer is absolutely honest and humbly reliant on the Holy Spirit, Outward obedience can train the heart to follow in the same direction. But it only works this way, not for the hypocrite. It only works this way. Lord, I don't feel like forgiving so-and-so. I don't have it in my heart. But I know you call me to it. And, and Lord, I want my heart to be right. But I can't wait till my heart is right. I've got to go make this right. You said do it quickly. So as I go and make things right with my brother, Jesus, come, fix my heart as well. See, it's not the hypocrite, it's deep repentance. It's a deep calling out to the Spirit of God. We wish we had the means to produce the kind of heart we know we should have. And the Holy Spirit will. Wait on Him. Don't allow yourself surface repentance and don't allow yourself surface righteousness by pretending things are okay just because there's an outward act without a heart that is engaged in it. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Let him change your heart so that the outward obedience, don't ignore the obedience, but that it's accompanied. So you not just obey the instructions, you start to share the concerns. Because that, my friend, is when repentance has done its deepest work in our hearts. Let's pray. Boy, we're so grateful for this strange, wonderful story of Jonah and the way the rest of the Bible treats it as actual history. Jesus did. Help us to learn. Lord, help us to learn to walk in an obedience that brings our heart with so that we don't just pursue righteousness, we start to prefer righteousness. And that's a work, Lord, we call on your Holy Spirit. Do it in Cedarview Community Church. Do it in all of our lives. Thank you for, for your word. It's the seed we studied this morning. Plant it in our hearts. Let it do its work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Stay in the Word and love one another.